Hi, this is the Davis Vanguard podcast. We are here with ASUCD. Welcome to our show. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Justin Hurst. I'm the ASUCD president. Hi, I'm uh, Adam Hadafi. I'm the ASUCD external affairs vice president. And I'm Francois Kaplan. I'm the chief of staff. Excellent. So I understand you guys had your own election at just as we're coming close to our election. Yes, that is correct. Um, so this last academic week, um, from Tuesday to Friday, we held the ASUCD um, general election in the winter. Um, among the things that were voted on were the new position of the student advocate. For a little bit of context, they're going to be a resource for students that are struggling, whether it be financially or academically. Um, then um, Adam's position, the external affairs vice president, was also up for election. Um, as well as the executive ticket of president and internal vice president, and then half of our Senate seats, so six of those. Also, uh, we had our fee referendum, which we've been uh, talking about for a while now, and uh, thankfully that one passed, if you want to talk more about that. Yeah, um, so Francois, do you have the numbers on that? So so for the uh, AUCCD Basic Needs and Services fee referendum, we were able to get a... Uh, 35.86% voter turnout, which is the highest turnout we've ever seen in here in UC Davis. That's 10,000 students who are who went on their phones and voted on this fee referendum that's going to help us fund the pantry and fund all the services that we provide. Uh, and then... And, and that's a real high number. I mean, uh, don't you guys normally for your elections get like 10% or something like that? Well, we used to get lower than 10%. I remember only, what was it, two years ago, we had 3% turnout in a Senate election, and this time 35.86%, and 85% of those people who voted, voted for the fee referendum. So it was an overwhelming, uh, resounding support for the services that ASUCD provides and for the voice that ASUCD provides for the students of UC Davis. So what do you attribute the high turnout to? I personally attribute it to all the work that uh, all the different units and elected members of ASUCD did uh, promoting this fee referendum. Uh, Justin, what do you attribute it to? Yeah, so I think um, we've been talking about the fee referendum both publicly and privately for just about a year now. Um, before I was even elected, I remember having conversations with Adam about wanting to run this. So the conversation started way back when, and everything was really solidified over the summer. So that enabled us to have both our fall quarter and our winter quarter in order to market that to the students and answer any lingering questions that they may have had. So by the time we had the final text up on the ballot, most students were already aware of it. And what was the controversy all about uh, regarding the fee referendum? Or was there, uh, was it a different uh, referendum that had controversy? Yeah, that was uh, last elections. This election, we did not have any controversy, thankfully. Uh, the last election's controversy was over a couple of constitutional amendments that... Uh, there was some technical trouble with the with the elections website, and then um, in order to in order to make sure that everybody's voices were represented, the constitutional amendments were put on the ballot again in a special election. Um, that was the gist of the controversy last time, but thankfully we're past that now. I will just add on really briefly that we also had a constitutional rewrite up in this election, and that passed with similar results to the fee referendum. So um, clearly, the controversy of last quarter did not follow, even though some of the text was similar. Yeah, actually, the constitutional amendment passed with 93% support, which was even higher than the fee referendum. So the controversy is solidly past us now. So 
it, it basically got worked out and people didn't hold it against you one quarter to the next. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, thankfully, looks like uh, we're going to have a newer, better, more well-funded <laughs> ASUCD in the upcoming year. I definitely think it's fair to say that this election was transformational for ASUCD. So what does that, what paint kind of the big picture of how this changes what you guys have been doing? Well, um, I can tell you just from a budgetary point of view, um, the free referendum is definitely um, reversing decades of decline. So um, I think we've mentioned it before, but I'll just reiterate it again. Um, our base fee, which funds the vast majority of what we do, um, notably basic needs and services, hence the name, um, that has been the same and has not been adjusted for inflation since 1979. So 40 years in the making, um, and now we've actually um, created an incremental system where our purchasing power is going to go up to about where it was at then. Um, for context, that's about when we started Unitrans, the bus line. The president then on a whim bought a couple of double-decker buses. That's something that we couldn't do now. Um, and then um, going into the next decade, it will incrementally be raised. And then afterwards, it'll be adjusted for CPI. So hopefully, um, if ASUCD continues its operating budget um, and services more or less what it's at now, um, ASUCD can exist indefinitely into the future. From my point of view as the external affairs vice president and as the person that represents uh, the student body in uh, outside governmental matters uh, and to ex external organizations, uh, the fact that we can actually have a fully funded operation uh, makes a huge difference in what kind, of, what kind of an impact we can have on the outside world and to what extent we can influence policy decisions and even private decisions having to do with students uh, outside of the university, uh, being able to actually show up to certain conferences, certain meetings uh, all over the state, being able to uh, travel, being able to uh, attend certain events. Um, it changes the way we can represent students on a larger scale and making sure that student interests and student needs are met uh, on the state level and on the federal level. Look, last year, we were not able to send anybody to Washington, D.C., um, on the UC, when the UC Student Association goes to Washington, D.C., it's called the UCSA Hill Day. Last year, because of budgetary problems, we couldn't send anybody. This year, we're probably not going to be able to send anybody. Next year, they will be able to because the fear of fandom passed. Um, it makes a big difference in how we can represent students. And what does it mean for the p food pantry and for helping uh, students that are in need of assistance? Yeah, so the pantry right now is kind of suffering from two things. Uh, first of all, it's own, its own success because it's been so successful that every time, you know, people kind of go through, go past the pantry, there's just this giant line that just goes outside. It's just, you know, it's kind of like, it's like one of those like block long lines. So one of the issues that I've been trying to talk with the pantry director is how can we get enough money to have potentially a second location for the pantry and then probably expand the operations of the pantry so it can serve even more students because what we know is that 50% of all UC Davis students are food insecure. So we need, so there are kind of gaps in certain kind of what, how we're servicing students that we need to start filling up. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any other potential serve expansions. Uh, would you like to talk about that? Yeah, I believe there's going to be expansions in mental health services or mental health advocacy. Uh, the mental health initiative is going to receive funding um, my understanding is also that uh, the uh, our house uh, unit, which uh, helps students find student housing and advocates for students uh, in in housing matters, is going to is going to receive increased funding. Uh, so when we say it was a basic needs and services referendum, that's exactly what we mean. That's 
services and the units that are uh, seeing the most dramatic increases in funding are going to be the units and the services that are related to basic needs for all of our students. Yeah, and one last thing I'd like to touch on was um, one of the biggest factors of this increase in fee is wages. Um, so a lot of our student um, employees are either volunteers, so they're working without pay, or they are on a stipend, which is um, essentially um, just a, um, can be a one-time paycheck for certain events, or it can be a bi-weekly pay. Um, and we're hoping to transition over the next decade all student employees that are paid to minimum wage. Um, we think that... Um, I, at least personally from my experience, I've seen a lot of students that work harder than some people um, at the university level and um, are not, uh, they do not receive the sorry, compensation that they deserve. Adam, would you like to expand on that? Uh, not, not really. Uh, I, I would say that the, the uh, transition to, uh, to uh, I mean, I think it's going to be more of a, of a mix of some positions being salary and some positions being uh, hourly, uh, and it's going to be minimum wage and higher. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how ASCCD operates uh, when uh, people are actually paid by the hour of uh, how much work they do. That, that should be very interesting. So while I have you guys on, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Uh, things that we didn't discuss beforehand. So if they, uh, they struggle with these questions, these aren't uh, prepared. But uh, I was wondering if you guys could comment on the situation that uh, kind of developed into a protest last week uh, out of uh, the uh, Santa Cruz uh, situation and the COLA and how that affects UC Davis. Yes. Yeah, so COLA, for those who don't know, cost of living adjustment uh, is an issue that has been brought up multiple times over the years that I've been involved at the system wide level. Um, the issue in Santa Cruz is that uh, the teaching assistants and the graduate student researchers and the uh, graduate student instructors are not being paid at a level that is enough for them to be able to afford housing in Santa Cruz, which is one of the most expensive housing markets in, in California. Um, they're not even getting paid enough to be able to pay for rent, like not it doesn't even equal the rent that they have to pay to be able to live in Santa Cruz. Um, the ask for cost of living uh, was a, a slightly over $1,400 a month adjustment. Um, the issue is that the university, and I had a meeting with uh, the other external affairs vice presidents, external vice presidents and Janet Napolitano, where we discussed this issue, is that the UC also doesn't have the funds to make that adjustment, which uh, is a problem because they didn't receive those funds from the state of California. Um, this is one of those things that everybody is, everybody on the administration and state level is kind of at fault. Um, there is no clear solution for how to resolve this situation. There, nobody really knows how to uh, make sure that these graduate students have the ability and the uh, and are being paid enough to live and be able to actually afford housing and afford living in these areas. Uh, all the UCs are in areas that are relatively high, have a relatively high cost of living. Davis, Santa Cruz, Santa Barbara, San Diego, LA, Berkeley, none of these are cheap areas. Um, but the UC isn't paying the, the student employees enough to be able to live in those areas. Um, and the UC doesn't seem to have a solution of how to deal with that. Um, the graduate students are asking for um, a cost of living adjustment, which is perfectly reasonable because they can't live like this. Um, the UC uh, is trying to figure out a way to meet some of the demand. They're not going to be able to meet all of the demand. I've read the UC like 260 page budget breakdown and there is no way they're going to have enough money to pay uh, all of the, the, the entire ask. But 
I'm hopeful that there will be a solution. The impact on Davis, uh, I believe Francois can talk about this as well, uh, is that uh, the, gra- the, the a piece came out in the Aggie about an hour ago or two um, that uh, said that um, UC Davis uh, graduate students will be going on a great strike on February 27th. Uh, so it's coming to Davis. Uh, it, the great strike, by the way, is basically uh, TAs not releasing grades for classes where they are TAing. Do you want to expand on this? So, yeah, so that's pretty much what's going to be happening. Uh, so I've heard some rumors even beforehand that the that the TAs were going to do this kind of solidarity uh, strike kind of thing. Whether, whether I think from what I've heard for from Santa Cruz is that they've already graded the grades. Uh, they're just going to withhold, you know, submitting those grades. And so one of the things that I'm trying to figure out with administration is for a lot of STEM students, they actually might need grades to go on to future classes. Uh, that's just kind of part of the requirement. And so th- what I'm trying to do is that while I'm in solidarity with uh, the the grad TAs, we also got to make sure that our STEM students don't, you know, have any like severe repercussions as a result of, you know, TAs holding withholding grades, especially if they if those grades are final grades. Yeah, we have to make sure that we don't have a situation in which the interests of the graduate students and the interests of the undergraduate students clash. That is the worst case scenario. We don't. We want to be able to be in solidarity with the teaching assistants and with the graduate students who are having these issues. Because, I mean, we if 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 we were uh, relying on a on a on a paycheck uh, at the level that they have to and work the hours that they have to it. Undergraduates can't afford housing in these areas either, but the, the, the TAs are employed by the university. They're attending the, the university. And it's, again, we want to be in solidarity with them. We are in solidarity with them. We just want to avoid a situation where the interests of the undergraduate students and the uh, absolutely uh, uh, valid interests of the graduate students are in conflict in any way. That wouldn't be a good situation for any of us. It just seems really strange that here we are, and, and this really goes back, I guess, to a housing issue, um, UC-wide, and uh, UC has not figured out how to provide affordable housing, quote-unquote, to students. So, yes, that's absolutely true. Um, One reason seems to be that the same housing that costs a private party, um, if if the UC and a private party are building the exact same housing, it seems to cost the UC substantially more. And I still haven't figured out why that is. If you look at the breakdown for floor by floor cost of building a dorm building, it's significantly higher than an outside party building an apartment complex. And I have no idea what that is, why that is. Nobody seems to be able to answer that question. Um, the UC is, is, is having trouble uh, providing affordable housing Yes, but it's not just the UC. It's the entire state. It's and it's not it's not just students, although students are very much affected by this issue, but affordable housing across the state of California is 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 a huge problem. Housing across the state of California is a huge problem. Um, both in urban and suburban areas, people can't afford housing because there's not enough housing. The supply of housing in the state of California is dramatically lower than what it should be. And unless the state and the federal government actually decide to tackle that head on uh, and a lot of solutions have been proposed on the state level but none of them seem to meet all the criteria that they need to meet sb50 was one of those sb25 last year was one of those none of those actually went anywhere and the reason they went they didn't go anywhere is that they weren't comprehensive and they didn't address the concerns of all the interested parties 
Um, this is not just a UC problem. Yes, the UC is complicit, but the UC is not the only party that needs to be blamed here. The the, the state and the federal government both are 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 complicit in the in the situation that we have with students' housing and student homelessness. Um, yeah, one of the questions I asked Matt Dulcich, I think it was last year, um, was why can't the university subsidized the housing because if you think about it okay i understand why the university can't uh find additional money to pay uh students more but if you think about the housing they already have the housing so so they should be able to cushion some of that but they can't well they don't actually like e even at uc davis this this year i think was the first year that we didn't even guarantee housing to the freshmen because we physically don't have enough housing on campus. Um, yes, if we had if we had enough housing on campus, that would be the perfect solution. Just just give the grad students housing for like lesser cost or free. That would be the perfect way to deal with this situation. But the issue is that the university doesn't have enough housing, um, and one reason for that seems to be the reluctance to build taller, denser housing buildings. Um, they they're re renovating the um, they're basically rebuilding the buildings in quarter right now, and they went from three floors to four floors. Okay, what like four-story building from a three-story building? What what is the point of that? You're gonna spend this much money, build five stories, six stories, seven stories. We're seeing that it's possible. Davis Live is about to do it, uh, and build with the same kind of material. Why can't we do it on campus? Well, we they don't have know. plenty of space too. I mean, it, it's not like you know they can't build out further on uh, West Village if they don't want to go above four stories. The West Village West Village is going to be expanding. There's an expansion plan for West Village. Um, but yeah, no, they could. They could absolutely build taller. They could absolutely build wider. Uh, and they're not. Part of it is that it costs the university a lot of money. Uh, it costs them more than private parties. Um, and I again, I still don't know why that is the case. Um, just because you mentioned West Village, I'm going to jump in. Um, I actually live in West Village right now, and my apartment is right on the edge um, of where the new construction is. So I can literally go onto my balcony and see where the new buildings are being built. That being said, it is highly um, focused on the south side um, and is not being um, expanded to um, the full extent that it can. Um, at the same time, when we're talking about more housing, um, affordability is definitely a big issue. Um, and um, I've spoken with administration before on a, an affordability guarantee, but um, affordability in university terms is below market rate. Well, market rate is higher than most people can afford. So I think we need to also at the same time talk about um, our definitions of what affordability are because I think we're really missing each other. Yeah, the definition of affordability is also one of those things that we've discussed on the city level before when Nishi was going through, when Lincoln 40 was being going through. And we've always defined it as a percentage lower than the than the market rate, a percentage of the market rate of the of the housing. Um, it's This is a discussion that's been going on at the state level too. And nobody, the definitions that are offered for what how we define affordable always fall short of being able to meet both the needs of the tenants and the needs of the, of the people who own these properties. Because... Uh, yes, the, the developers and the property owners make lots and lots of money from these properties, but there is a starting cost fees, all of that that goes into the project. And if they can't uh, meet a certain level of, of revenue within the first couple of years, then they can't keep owning those properties. So they're not willing to do certain things. Um, they're not willing to have affordable housing if the affordable housing is defined as uh, the the amount of money that, that like a third of the wage uh, of the monthly wage 
of a, a person living in this area is making at minimum wage. If that's how we define affordable housing, then the developers aren't willing to aren't going to be willing to go along with it. They just won't have any affordable housing. Um, so this is a discussion that's going on at the state level, and hopefully we'll arrive at a, at a definition that everybody uh, can be uncomfortable with <laughs> at the same time. Um, right now, everywhere that I've been to, it market rate is what people like below market rate is what people go with, and that's unfortunate because it's not doing what it's supposed to. And I, I suppose we could go on all day on this, but, you know, uh, the frustrating thing is that if you think about uh, the, there are two factors that, that should be driving down the cost for the university. One is they don't have any land costs because they own their land. And the second thing is that uh, they don't have to make money off it. All they have to do is be able to pay their bills. And, and somehow with no land costs, and uh, and and they don't even have to pay taxes on the land. Um, they cannot get this thing to be uh, at or below market rate. It, it's utterly baffling. For one th bed in a three-bed dorm room is more expensive right now than getting a a double uh, like doubling up in a room in an apartment in the city of Davis. That makes no sense. No. It, it it really doesn't. All right. I, I want to bring up one more thing and then uh, then we'll end the show. Um, Aggie Research Council, uh, Campus is uh, uh, coming to the Planning Commission tonight, uh, which whenever people listen to this podcast will be in the past. But uh, this is a big issue for students because, um, you know, we were looking at, at stats with uh, Greater Sacramento and uh, one of the interesting things is the high percentage of students that graduate with STEM degrees and the low retention for the region uh, for graduates, which means that you guys, when you graduate, most likely will not be getting jobs in the Sacramento region, uh, which, which doesn't make sense because we're here we are investing in your education and, and the hope should be, you know, to churn you guys out into the private sector where you can put money back in and you're going to go to Colorado or Austin, Texas or somewhere not here uh, to do that. Makes no sense. So, yes, uh, with uh, there, there isn't enough uh, job opportunities around here, especially for STEM students. I mean, if you're a political science student, Sacramento is right there. You're like us, and your work is policy. You know, it, there's pr plenty of opportunities available. But yes, for STEM students especially, um, this area is not ideal. Uh, I heard a few days ago somebody saying Sacramento is the new Silicon Valley, and I was like, no, no, it's no, it's not. It might become that one day, but it definitely is not right now. Um, the Aggie Research Campus, uh, with uh, its housing element, its uh, uh, the opportunity it offers for students to be able to stay here and work here, and also to start developing their careers even before they graduate is certainly it certainly can be uh, a project that ASUCD supports uh, I'm going to be there tonight at the planning commission to hear their full proposal uh, to the planning commission um, but projects like the Aggie Research Camp Campus if they were more common in this area we would have a lot higher retention of what you were talking about alright well um that is it for our show. I want to thank you guys for coming on and uh, talking about some student issues. I think there are a lot of uh, real pressing issues in this community. It sounds like housing is 
not solved and and needs uh, some more tweaking. One more thing. The reason we don't have as much retention in this area or in California as a whole, a reason that graduates of the University of California all over the state are more likely to go to other states and go elsewhere to find work is the fact that housing in California is so ridiculously expensive that they can't afford to live near where they want to work. If you're a STEM graduate and you want to work in the Bay Area, you can't live in the Bay Area. So housing actually ties in to what you just brought up about retention, retaining students who graduate from the UC in California. That's a good point. All right. This has been the Davis Vanguard podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwell. Join us again next month and we'll talk again with ASUCD.